what got you into law? Was it parents? Was it and what what got you into it? I really wanted to do something that I'd become beneficial to people. An incident took place when we were about 15, 16 years old, young teenagers, and uh, where my good friend ended up doing a nine-year custodial sentence, and uh, I thought more could have been done. Name is Ahmed Yakub. Mr. Yakub, you've changed the face of law. Remember, there's a defence for every offence. Look, people have this understanding that once they get arrested for something, a lot of people don't know what needs to happen. That you are entitled to make phone calls. That you are allowed a solicitor. Essentially, it was you were left with no staff. Me, you, myself, and I. And you were doing the business running, the billing, the everything. Everything. If I'm sitting there, pulled me over, license registration, whatever they say. What sort of things should I be aware of? What what rules exist? What can I what can I do? What can't I do? Well, first of all, you need to ask them. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome back to the TED Talks YouTube podcast everything channel. Now you know we're about being better, and the gentleman next to me is a solicitor. Right? Is that the correct? Yes. Title, and a lot of solicitors I know. Are not on TikTok, are not on Instagram, don't respond to emails or calls. I don't even know what they look like. But you have a very public profile, which for me is definitely something of interest and something that maybe others in the law profession could learn from. I'm sure we'll we'll delve further into why you have such a presence and how it helps your business and maybe some of the negatives as well of of building a brand. So before we get into it and before we talk about you know your company, which is behind us there, like what was life like growing up for you? Life, uh, like growing up, was good. I wouldn't say it was bad. It was good. I had a good upbringing. Um, and in terms of uh, studying, I just I did keep my head down compared to my friends around me because the area that I grew up in wasn't like the best area. You see, everyone is into all sorts, but I managed not to. Get too involved in all of that stuff and focused on what I wanted to do. Well, what, what instilled that in you? Because a lot of people from like similar areas or the same area, like you said, were doing stuff that maybe wasn't the best for them or their future. So, what kept you like on the straight and narrow and kind of got you to where you are now? My religion, my faith, my faith in God, fear of God. That's that's I think that would be. Probably the best reason. And that comes from family, then, sort of instilling that. Yeah, yeah, instilling at a young age, but. Not necessarily. No, it's um, something that I don't know. It's, since I was very young, I had the fear of God inside me. And did you see? I mean, I suppose it's it, there's many layers layers to that in the sense that how does one get that, and then how does it sort of manifest in their life? I mean, your other friends who are from the same faith as you, did they all have that same kind of fear of God, or did some of them not feel it the way you did? No, everyone's level of faith is different, isn't it? So I can't judge you like that. But I mean, I don't know. Their connection to the Lord was probably far greater. But everyone has different levels of faith. So some people have more fear of God, and some people have less fear of God. I was the one of those who's got more fear of God, who's had more fear of God from a young age. And then you know, being a solicitor is a good job. You know, in the kind of Asian community, right? Solicitor, doctor, doctor lawyer, engineer, yeah. yeah. You know, what got you into law? Was it parents? Was it you know, what? What got you into it? It's a few things. Few things got me into law. I really wanted to do something that I'd become beneficial to people, provide 
be relevant. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean? And I've had that sort of mindset since I was a young boy. Mm-hmm. Um, an incident took place when we were about 15, 16 years old, young teenagers, and uh, where my good friend uh, ended up doing a nine-year custodial sentence. And uh, I thought more could have been done to prevent that sentence at that time. Of start. And then the financial element of it, as well as I've seen lawyers charge a lot of money for people I knew for their cases. I thought if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of growing, you know, with law, at least from an outside perspective, it seems a very slow process to go from sort of graduating to qualifying to then becoming a partner. It seems like a lifelong pursuit of... It, it usually will take this long to say, now you've, you've graduated from law school, then you'll have one year of the legal practice course. Mm-hmm. After that, you'll have to look for a training contract, we can, which can last for about two years. And after that, you go and look for a job. If the same firm who you have completed your training contract who doesn't hire you, even if they hire you, you have to work for three years um, as a qualified solicitor, and then you can go and become a partner uh, and open your own firm. And is that what you followed? Did you follow the tradition? No, my, my path was a little bit different. My path was basically um, uh, LLB, then I did my legal practice course straight away, then I joined a firm which I was with for about two years, that's when I did my training contract, and then, um, or just after, a year after that, I became the director of this place, where, I came, the, where who I bought the firm off was Morris Andrews, Mr. Andrews, so he stayed on as a partner. After I finished my three years post-qualification experience, PQE, he's come off as directorship and I just became a single director. And, you know, for people who are listening to this, watching this, who are in law or studying law, you've had quite a quick progression compared to a lot of people. Yeah, but I've, t- I've took a lot of risks. I, I, I took a lot of risks with other people in my position who wouldn't have taken. That's where I've got to where I am today, alhamdulillah. And the Lord has been, of course, very grateful. And those risks, were they calculated risks? Not really. In my head, they were calculated, but everyone else thought there wasn't. So, you know, when all these people were telling you, don't take that risk, this is silly, you shouldn't be doing that, you know, all these kind of people looking and, and commenting, why didn't it stop you? Well, I wanted to prove everybody wrong. That was one of my main motivation uh, at that period, uh, during that period. And uh, I was, I'm one of those people, I'm very competitive. I don't like to give up. And once I decide I want to do something, the whole world could be against me. And if I know the Lord is with me and I've got his blessings, I just go for it. That's exactly what I did to be fair. And, you know, in terms of those risks, are you able to share what they are? Yeah, first of all, uh, the main risk was, first of all, buying this firm. And I had to, of course, borrow money to buy this firm. And it was a firm which was winding down. But at that time, I had two options. I could have either waited mm-hmm. for that one year and become three years PQE and open a fresh firm. Okay. Or buy this firm and be one year ahead of everybody else who was in my thingy. Mm. But it would mean it was a substantial sum of money, you know. 
So that was the risk I took, and mm. I thought, yes, I'm going to buy this firm. Even though the following was almost gone, I knew because it's been around for so long, the reputation was there, if you want me. And are there other, because obviously with law, there's red tape, there's insurance, there's, there's a lot of things that you have to get. You can't just set it up. There's a lot of things around it. So was buying this easier than setting up on your own because it kind of came with... It's more or less the same thing because this was a uh, partnership, a limited liability partnership. I turned into a company. Mm. So it was more or less the same thing, what I had to do, what I would have done with a fresh firm, if you get what I mean. Yeah, and did it come with any staff? Yes, but they all left me. I wonder okay. Uh, gradually, they all left me. And so... Essentially, it was you were left with no staff. Me, you, myself, and I. And you were doing the business running, the billing, the everything. Everything. So I used to come in the morning, five a.m. That was the start. For those eighteen months to one two years, I never had a life apart from this place. So when people say this guy got lucky, no, I didn't. Alhamdulillah, I was with the help of the Lord. The thing is, you the Lord blesses you and you are put in situations where good luck finds you if you work hard. Mm -hmm. Because the Lord is watching. When you are working every day to provide for your family mm -hmm. good means of income and it makes opportunities for you, it makes ways for you. So those two years, 18 months to two years, I was basically coming in in the morning, 5 a.m., Kid you not, coming in, doing some paperwork. If I go to a police station before 9 a.m., I have to go to a police station and get back for 9 a.m., open up the office, be on the phones, and then if I had to go to court, I would direct the phone to my mobile and go to court, represent whatever I have to do, come back, write up, then probably go to the police station again. I was leaving the office for about 11, 12, 11 p.m., 12 a.m. Wow. So those were the hours I was putting in. And people don't want to hear that, right? People 18, 19 hours a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 18, 19 hours a day. Never used to go to the gym, hardly any time with family, just coming home to sleep and getting back up, going back to work, coming home, going back to sleep. And then, uh, of course, you know, it pays off then. Of course. And at one point, I, when I took this firm over, I had a £15,000 overdraft from Lloyd's Bank. And that was finished, almost gone. So I would get £1,500 left. And that's when I started making a bit of money. And since then, I've not looked back. We're talking 2017. So Alhamdulillah, I've, I've been blessed. And then, you know, during that time, you would have been, you know, younger. You mm. would have been newer. Yeah. You know, and solicitors, you know, at least on the outside, is a very sort of older man's game. There doesn't seem to be a lot of diversity in it. Mm. Did you face challenges with people sort of looking at you and saying, hold on, you're the owner and you're doing this? Of course, your yeah, yeah, definitely, 100%, yeah. How do you handle that? Because there's a lot of people who are 20, 19, 22 who want to start a business and do things, but they're scared about this. You've got you to know how to conduct yourself. You've got to provide something. You've got to provide a service so people are coming to you and you are talking sense. Oh, this could be in any field of law, any field, um, not, not just in law. In any industry, you have to be confident with how you speak. You've got to be confident in what you are providing. If you're selling something, you've got to be able to back what you're selling up. So I'm selling here at service, essentially. So if I'm sitting here, clients are stupid. 
No clients are stupid. So if I'm sitting here and chatting gibberish, clients will, they're not stupid, they will know. Mm-hmm. They will know if I'm chatting gibberish and they, they, they can confront me even if they don't confront yeah. me. They rather confront me because if they don't confront me, they'll just go and never come back. And, and talk recommend, to other people. Never recommend me to anybody. So it's better if they do confront me and most of them, they don't confront you. They, if yeah. they're not happy with you, they will go because nobody's got time to argue with people these days or have disagreements with people these days. I don't have no time to have any disagreements with anyone. If somebody is telling me these days that two plus two equals five, I'll say, okay, no problem, I'll walk off. You know, it's got to that level now. And I don't yeah. think anybody's got time to have disagreements with people. So they just go, you lose business for free. So you have to be very confident in the way you speak. And you've got to know what you're saying. You've got to mm-hmm. have some sustenance to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. And then on that topic of like diversity, mm-hmm. most listers that I see are older white men of in suits. Yep. And I look through the pages and, uh, of the teams and I think, sorry, where's someone who looks like us? So It's hard, it's hard. And it's, 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 it's hard. Sometimes people do make fun of you. I'm not going to sit here and lie. When I first started, people used to make fun of the way I talk. Loads of people used to say, uh, the courts are not going to take him seriously. He's not respected in that circle. Mm. But a couple of years down the line, I'm one of the most recognised, if not the most recognised lawyer in the UK. And I just don't just talk. I actually back it up with my results. Most videos that I post are about my results mm-hmm. and the actual people be sitting next to me. If they never had confidence in me, they would not come and sit here yep. and get their face in camera and saying they have been accused of such and such. But they've got confidence in me. They come here, they sit here. Some have actually said to me, look, we want to come and make a video and show appreciation. So uh, that shows something, you know. That, and these people, my clients, uh, I represent people from the whole of England and Wales. So London, up north, Bradford, Manchester, everywhere. So um, and people are talking good about me. There will always be people talking bad about you. Of the negativity always follows. If you've got a attitude that is contagious if you've got energy that is contagious you will automatically attract negativity towards you and that happens that's life mm-hmm. some people can't digest how others feel about you that's all it is if somebody's coming up to people and saying this guy's a good guy and a few people go up and say the same thing this guy's doing well in life that sometimes that's some people feel like no they have that bad feeling about that individual in their mm-hmm. hearts. But what I, how I say is karma is real, so the craftiness, the negativity, it will come back to you one day. It will come back to you. The Lord's watching. So don't have no craftiness and negativity about other people in your heart mm. if you don't want bad stuff to happen to you. Yeah. I think even if people are not religious, it's a good kind of mantra to follow, right? About yeah, how you yeah. behave. That's, that's, not, that's good behavior. That's human behavior. Yeah, yeah. It should be like that. Animal behavior is different when other animals are eating, another animal will come and try to take the food off them. Humans shouldn't behave like that. We've got too, we've got too much cognition. To we are programmed like differently, exactly. So why are we behaving like animals? If someone's doing well, push them more, say good stuff about them. Mm. Don't say bad stuff about them because it's just going to bring that negative energy back around to you. you know? 100%. And like you said, that's not religious, that's normal. That's just good human ethics, nature. good morals. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And, you know, after those 18 months, two years of absolute graft, where it was just you doing everything, you know, did it then build a name for yourself and start attracting staff? Like, how did you then scale up to how many, how big is the company now? We're quite big now. We're, we're very busy, very busy. And I've got, um, 
there's uh, 11 staff members, 12 staff members. So from going from just you to kind of 11, yeah. how did you scale up and how did you then relinquish some control, I suppose, to sort of get the staff structure in place and have a team around you? I've got people who I knew personally. Um, some people I've got working here, my family members, so they come on board initially and I had to teach them what to do, what not to do. And uh, it was all a starting process and... There's a lot of teething problems at start, but I think mm-hmm. now, five and a half, six years down the line, is, I could say, I'm well settled in the business now, and it can run without my involvement on a daily basis. Okay. So, which is good. Which is good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so from, you started this business in what year? Well, I took over in 2016. So, 2016 you took over, and now we're talking... Under 2016, so about six years. About six years, and as you said, you're one of the most recognised, you know, with the public profiles listed in the yeah. in the UK. People don't want to hear that, right? That's too long. People just want it instantly, right? And mm-hmm. there's something with the generation nowadays and people who see... see... They see the good stuff, but they don't see the... I know you asked that. They don't see what, what, yeah, what's yeah, come yeah. behind it. They think people have just come like this. They see the yellow Lamborghini. Yeah, exactly. Say, oh, I get the yellow Lamborghini, I had it for two years. I've only been doing social media for two years. So I had it before I was on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they think it's, uh, it's, it's easy. It's very hard. It's, it's very, very hard. hard. And to build a social media profile is very hard too. Very hard. Very hard. How did you learn that? Because as a solicitor, I assume you're never taught about social media or no. anything. See, uh, it was just one of them days I made a video and I thought, I've seen people make videos about, you know, crap stuff, waste of time stuff. And then I thought to myself, I could do this and I could do, I could talk a bit of sense, I could do better than them. Okay, yeah. So I made one video and sort of went viral and that's it. Then I just started making videos after that. And then I stopped for a bit and then last about three, four months I've been basically uploading almost on a daily basis and my following's like double now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's getting, uh, it's just going higher and higher all the time. But, so a lot of people are sending me my own videos saying, you know, they're going viral. So it's good. I mean, it's definitely unique for a sister. Like I said at the start, that's what, that's why I'm here. That's why people have had you on podcasts because yeah. you're one of the very few, maybe only one I can think of, who is talking about legal things in an engaging, interesting way. Because law is free advice, and I'm not just sitting there, like you said, it's engaging. I'm not just sitting there and reading from a book, or just sitting there and it's been boring about stuff. I'll give real life scenarios, I'll give examples. Uh, so people, like you said, they get engaged. And I, I don't like to hide behind big words. I, I like to explain things in simple terms. Which you do, yeah, yeah. And uh, people understand, a lot of people actually thank me. That's why, of course, people are following me. The, the, most people, I assume, who follow me, like me, um, probably a very small percentage are just the, the, the investigators and yeah, 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 yeah. The, whatever they are. So the observers, so they like me, so I am doing something right, aren't I? And it's, it's hard. hard. Like People think it's easy to... It's very hard to cross, actually. So people turn around and say, oh, he's doing it because of TikTok or doing it because of Instagram or whatever it is, it's hard. And you're talking about a topic which, you know, let's be honest, law is is full of big words, full of jargon. It's very hard to understand Mm. in every type of law, but you're breaking it down. So you're kind of demystifying, you know, because I've read like the secret barrister and books like that and got some insight into like what it's like, at least from the government's perspective and the corruption and things like that, which we talk about. But you're demystifying something which most people would look at and say, if I'm accused of a crime, that's it. I'm, 
I've just got to take a Crown Prosecution defence and just, you know, suck it up. But Yeah, that's what it is. Look, people have this um, understanding that once they get arrested for something, a lot of people don't know what needs to happen, uh, that you are entitled to make phone calls, that you are allowed a solicitor, and you are allowed a solicitor free of charge. You can get a free independent free and independent legal advice at the police station without paying a single penny, and that is going to be paid from the government. So you can call out Maurice Andrews solicitors at the police station for free. A lot of people, like yesterday I had a couple of people coming up to me in Birmingham Crown Court, and I said, it'll be, how expensive is it to hire you, Mr. Yacoub? So to tell them, I go, I don't just do private work, I do legal aid work, and that's the majority of the work that I get, because not everyone has money to pay us which is we have to accept the fact not everyone has the money to pay us. And most people who are accused of crime, they don't make much money. That's why they are, find themselves in scenarios that they are accused of crime. Some are, some are guilty, some are not. So. With legal aid, from what I read, yeah. and I love, I love your sort of insight on it from you, is that you as a solicitor firm, it's a lot of paperwork, a lot of waiting around, a lot of rubbish from like, the courts, mm -hmm. and you don't make that much money? No, it depends. It depends. It depends. I mean, I, I specialize mainly in big cases, which okay. means they are big trials and legal aid, it, okay, doesn't pay as well as private cases. But if you've got volume, you're making money. Okay. You're making money. I've got a practice which is very successful. Of course, I'm making money. That's why I'm still up and running. Mm. You know, I've seen a lot of practices closing down because of legal aid cuts. But I think the structure was a bit different. I don't focus much on... Um, uh, should I say like that, the less serious offences, mm -hmm. I focus more on the high-end stuff and that's why I am recognised. Because they're more high-profile, which therefore high gets you... Exactly. The, most of my cases are widely reported in the media. Two cases right now that are happening, one in Leicester Crown Court and one in Birmingham Crown Court, they are widely reported uh, in the media uh, across the whole UK. So my cases are high-end cases, if I am not, so I don't need my team or my overheads to be huge. Once you start taking work from every single angle and you're dealing with your domestic violences and you're dealing with your twerks taken without consent, mm. you need people to service that work, so you need services yeah, yeah, to go yeah. to court for that work, figure what I mean. Whereas if you have dealing with all the big cases, you've got a specific number of people and you know that person is dealing with that case, that person is dealing with that case and it's easily, more easily managed and you make more money. Yeah. And that's a business strategy that I, I've adapted since I've taken over this firm. Mm. I mean, it makes sense. It's like selling luxury items. You might sell less to yes. less people. The margins are you make more money and the reputation of a luxury brand versus a non-luxury brand is different. So it's... There you go. It, it's the turnover for the non-luxury brand probably is more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the profit for the luxury brand is going to be more. Exactly. Exactly, there you go. And, and speaking of profit and turnover, mm -hmm. you're going back to your like TikToks, your Reels. Since you've started doing them and as you've grown, have you noticed you know, an impact on your bottom line, on your business, new business? Well, not, not necessarily yet, but I think I will. Mm. Because what... I've done is I've planted the seed in people's heads that look at me if you do get into trouble you're calling me I mean I'm calling you yes there you go so that seed is planted so none of you going to get arrested straight away forget what I mean out of the million people who view my videos probably 1% not even 1% 0.1% are going to get arrested eventually yeah 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 but they will tell all their family members and of course I've only been doing this for about 2 years now mm -hmm. just over 2 years so the phone calls have increased of course 
the attention is increased, but we won't see the money because even if a criminal trial starts, it could last a whole year. So we won't yeah. see the money till after the year. So the recognition and the business has increased, mm-hmm. but we won't see it financially yet. I think that's that's good to know for people because people could very easily assume, okay, you've done the videos, you must be killing it, but actually, no, no, there's a process. It's still, it's still, there's still a process. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. any lawyer that thinks that yeah, I'm gonna start making videos, I'm gonna get rich in one year, two years. Think no, again, no. man. Think again. And you know, with the the type of law you practice, is it only defence? The only defence. I would never prosecute anybody. Why would you never prosecute? I would never prosecute. I don't think I've got inside me if. If that person might actually be innocent, I don't want to be yeah. someone who sends an innocent person to, to prison. I rather risk saving a guilty man. Oh, like the say, French yeah, philosopher Voltaire said. It is better to risk saving a guilty man than to condemn an innocent one. It, that's, you know, that's a very, yeah, that's an ethical debate in itself, I think. Yeah. Because obviously other people would disagree with you. And so Benjamin well. Franklin, he said, it is better a hundred innocent man, men get set free than one. Sorry, it is better a hundred guilty men get set free than one innocent man get proven. Interesting. And then with the fact that you're defending people who could be guilty, mm-hmm. could not... But actually... If, well, but what would you risk? An innocent man doing life in prison or someone who's guilty walking out? What would you... I don't know. Morally, I, 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 I don't, don't know. know. I don't know because... The, what we have to follow is we have to... We've got a duty to the court not to mislead the court. Yeah. yeah? As long as we we don't cross them boundaries, then we can do what we want in terms of other defence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as we're not misleading the courts. So, if someone I don't know, I mean, sometimes people look like they're guilty. Yeah. In conspiracies, yeah, yeah, yeah. cases, it looks like they're guilty. So, if I'm phoning you, you're phoning somebody else, and they get arrested with some drugs, they look like I'm involved in the conspiracy. I'm always with you. You know what I mean? You you go inside the house and you pick up something you put in your pocket. You come back out later on to find you, that's drugs or that's money, whatever it is. I'm always around you. I'm always with you. They automatically want to think I'm involved. Of course. But I probably might have not done nothing. I probably don't know what you're up to. Yeah. You know. So you can easily walk into a conspiracy. So there are people there that sometimes I see. I genuinely believe they've done nothing wrong. But it's not for me to believe, or it's not my opinion that counts. Yeah. It's the evidence. And when someone has. If someone is accused of a crime mm-hmm. and they come to you and say, I'm right, I want you to represent me, etc., etc., mm-hmm. do you ask them, did you do it? Never. I've never asked them. I've never asked a client. What, what I do is this. We're given a case summary. Yeah. I read the case summary, I observe the case summary. The client reads the case summary, it's his paper, so he has a copy of the papers, doesn't he? So he reads the case summary, he observes it. And when, when we're having a meeting, I'm asking him about the evidence. I'm not asking him if he did it or not. I'm asking him, so what do you have to say about this, Mr. Red? I see, okay. What do you have to say about this? What do you have to say about this? I'm getting a response or a reaction to the prosecution evidence. Yes. I'm not asking him whether he did it or not. The prosecutor can ask him that. Yeah. When he gives evidence at court. But does that, is that just something that all defence lawyers do? Yeah, of course. Do? Yeah, yeah, I don't think anybody will... Uh, the, 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 we will put the evidence to the client. Sometimes mm-hmm. I do say, look, the evidence, this this is strong evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is strong evidence, and if you plead guilty, you'll get less a sentence. I'll be honest with you, you'll get convicted at trial. Sometimes we do do that, of course we yeah, do do that, yeah. yeah. But then it's still up to the client to say, no, I'm going to have a trial. Regardless of what you say to me, I'm going to have a trial. And that's it. So we're following the client's instructions. And why don't you ask? 
I don't know. That's the way I I um I process myself. That's the way I program myself. I don't. I mean, I, would it would it bias decisions potentially because the way they say no, I don't it. think nobody nobody ever will ask their clients yeah, did you do this yeah so I'm trying to say why not I don't think they they just go based on evidence like I said they will it's tell just their no clients emotion, no it's just yeah, yeah. this is the evidence yeah they will tell the clients yeah this is uh, this is what they're saying what are you saying about it and the client says yes this, they're right then they're guilty of it yeah so it's a top level approach basically saying here's what they've got against yeah, you yeah. what are we what are we saying? saying so they said you were driving the car at the time yes I was they said there was a gun in the car. Yes, there was. They said it's your gun. Now, yes, it was. Okay, you should plead guilty. No, it wasn't. Okay. How did it get there? Like, you know what I mean? So you can only defend someone based on the truth they tell you, right? They yeah. can lie to you, and you they can lie to and you have to go off that. You have to go to yeah, exactly whatever they say. Yeah, and. Yeah, this is sometimes. Sometimes I do say to them, "Oh come on, <laughs> uh, we have to because we're not silly, we're not stupid." Yeah, so I'm yeah. not going to sit here and say, "Oh yeah," I say, "Listen, man, this kind of stuff won't go with the jury." I have to warn some clients that if you won't go, you're better off being guilty. And then you know, religion is obviously a big thing, right? You mentioned it a couple of times, and I've seen it on other podcasts. Mm. How does your faith? And this business, this job, do they, you know, how do they meet? How do they work together? Well, uh, they work together perfectly. I mean, like I said, I don't tell clients what to say, so I'm not doing it wrong. If the yeah. clients are instructing me that they are not guilty and their instructions are basically responses and alternative explanations to the prosecution case, and based on that, the clients get a not guilty plea, I've done nothing wrong, religion wise. And if I was to, uh, it can work both ways. If I see a client, I think, oh, you're guilty. He's guilty. Even before speaking to the client, I think that's religiously wrong. I think that's actually wrong. Dirty. Yeah, because I'm doing yeah. without, you know, giving the guy a fair chance. So. Yeah, I, I never knew that as lawyers, you kind of don't ask that question. But it makes sense because your job is not to judge. It's not to. Yeah. Directly, I don't think any lawyer will ask the client here if I'm guilty. And I think it's, I suppose it's also not the question you necessarily want to ask because you shouldn't be biased by the client's opinion. It should be a statement going through it, as you kind of said, yeah, exactly. to represent them. Now, I've seen a couple of your videos about the police yeah. and I think, you know, we all have our opinions on them. There's been numerous reports, which no one's surprised about at all, sexism, racism, homophobia, etc. Yeah. Um, and lots of cases of police failing to do their job and yeah. going beyond failing and, you know, murdering people, kidnapping, etc. They're supposed to protect us, right? And I think most people know that there's maybe some blurred lines with how effective that is. I'm not to say that if I wasn't in trouble, I would have called them. You work with them day in, day out. I've got no issue whatsoever with the police. I actually love the police. But like you said, if something was wrong with us, something, if my house gets burgled or my wife gets robbed and I can't get there, the first people we will phone is the police. Mm -hmm. So... We have to commend the ones that, and we can't paint them all with the same brush. If one person is bad, one bad apple, they say that, of course, they all can get poisoned. That's a different story. Yeah. But we can't judge them all or paint them all with the same brush just because one is like that.
Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. there's loads of stories about police misconduct and police this and police that. I don't like to get too much into it, but the thing is this. The police have a job to do in a criminal investigation. They investig their job is to investigate the crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had police officers in interviews sometimes that they say, we think you did this. And I've had to interrupt. I've said, officer, it's not your function to say if they did it or not. That's later on, six mm. months down the line, one year down the line, in the Crown Court, the man will have a trial. You don't play judge and jury, please. Your job is to investigate. And they have to listen to you. They have Absolutely. to listen. Politely, nicely, because yeah. they understand their role. They understand their function. My function is that my client does not get mistreated. No breaches of pace mm-hmm. are taking place. That's when they're in custody. My other job is, as defence lawyers, is putting forward a defence for our client or mitigating on our client's behalf if the client pleads guilty. And we've got nothing against the police and the police have nothing against me. I actually, The police actually... I get shown a lot of love by the police, especially the West Midlands Police, even other police forces, Manchester Police, wherever I go... They show me a lot of love, which I like. Mm. If I really like. I've never had a confrontation with a police officer, never. They're doing the job, I'm doing my job. May the best man win. <laughs> so um, then it's the prosecution who are actually prosecuting. So they can have their opinion. Yeah. The police can't have their opinion. They can have their opinion and they can put case on me saying, yes, we think this might be this guy, this might be that man, stuff like that. Then the jury are the ones who make a decision of guilt or not not, not guilty. And the judge directs them. And, you know, with police, Mm -hmm. if I'm a a common occurrence, you're driving, Mm -hmm. you get pulled over by the police. Yeah. It could be for a multitude of reasons, it could be a random check, but if, if I'm sitting there, they pulled me over, license registration, whatever they say, what sort of things should I be aware of? What what rules exist? What can I what can I do? What can't I do? Well, first of all, you need to ask them. If they ask most question, a common question they ask when you are when they stop you in a car is, do you know why we pulled you over? <laughs> Every time, why yeah, why yeah. we stopped you? If you sometimes people panic, yeah, and say all sorts. So my advice would be just remain calm. And say to the police, no, I don't know why you stopped me. Because it could be for a number of reasons. You probably, you probably think you're going a bit fast. Uh, they probably seen that your taillight is out. Mm. You probably crossed the amber crossing. You don't know. Yeah. You honestly don't know what's in his head. Why has he stopped you? Yeah. So you don't know why he stopped you. And you're not lying by saying that. And then you respond, no, I don't know, officer. But I'm sure it's a very good reason. And you will... Tell me, or you will explain it to me. Then they can tell you why they stopped you or not. And they have to tell you. They have to, yeah, of course. They'll say, under suspicion of so-and-so, or you were going fast, or you were doing this, and can we see your documents? Then you say to them, can I see your badge or mm-hmm. your shoulder number? What is it? Because I made a video about this. There's been cases where police officers, people are impersonating police officers and committing robberies and committing all sorts of carjacking and wow. stuff like that. So 
You have to be aware, you have to be very aware, aware. And then you can also, after they've checked you, you can ask them, I mean, are you going to arrest me, officer? If they say, yes, we're going to arrest you, my advice would be just, just remain calm. Because they're going, once they, once you are under arrest, then most likely they will take you to a police station and arrest you. And they've got 24 hours on the clock, so it's not going to make a big difference to them. They can arrest you under suspicion of anything. And then you go there and then... And do they need evidence to arrest you on suspicion of something? Do they need to say to you, we have... No, it could be intelligence. It could be intelligence based on intelligence. It could be anything. Um, they can't just arrest you for no reason. Yeah. Of course not. But do they have to prove to you the reason there and then? No, uh, yeah. They could say that it's prevention of further crime uh, or obtaining further evidence through questioning. So somebody could have made a report about you and they could say, we need to arrest you and question you so we can obtain... Further evidence. Fine. Stuff like that's a reason for an arrest. One of the reasons. Okay. And, you know, when it comes to kind of being in that situation, the police take you to the station. They can keep you there for mm. 24 hours. Mm. What's the minimum they have to provide you with when you're in that thing for 24 hours? They have to give you a right to make a phone call. To anyone? Uh, one phone call, unless you're being held in communicado which basically means you're not allowed to chat to anyone on the outside world apart from your lawyer okay fine second on the case they, they offer you a copy of the case that's the police and crime evidence act mm -hmm. um that's the act that legislates that's legislation that regulates them mm -hmm. please so in that you'll have all the main rules that the police have to abide by and of course the the prison, the, the, the cell has to be clean and all sorts. And uh, those are the main rights that people have to be uh, concerned about because with the police uh, booklet, the police booklet, they've got everything in there what the police can't do, what the police should do and whatnot. What are your rights and what are your rights? And with the phone call, uh, you've got, of course, you can inform one of your family members. And sorry, I forgot to mention, your right to legal representation, you've got a right to free and independent legal representation where you don't have to pay anything, it's paid for by the government and it's independent from the police. So you've got that right. Those are three main rights that people need to be worried about or concerned about. So in that situation, if I've got free legal advice and legal aid, mm -hmm. I can call you yeah. and that's it. Yeah. And we, then, so how do you... You get... don't have to call me if you get arrested. This, uh, in the unfortunate circumstances that you get arrested. You, they'll take you to the police station anyway. Then at the desk, they'll ask you, do you have a legal representative? And that's where you say, yes, Morrison. And then how, so where do you get your private work from if, if I'm entitled to the free? So you see the police station, everybody is entitled to free, the first initial police station. Yeah. Everyone is. Yeah. And then after that, then the private work is mainly court-based. Okay, so, so at that early stage, it's free as part of that, but as it then gets to court... Can, and then, like I said, even if, if, you, if you're not earning any money, you can get legal aid as well. So if you're not earning under, I think it's 35, 36,000 pounds, if you're earning underneath that, then uh, you will be entitled to legal aid as well. So um, you can get legal aid. But people who are earning more than that, then they, they, they will have to pay. Yeah. Either they pay us or they pay the legal aid contribution scheme. So they will get legal aid for part of the work and then they have to pay for part and stuff like that. But it's financial, we have to work it out properly and provide details. So, so I suppose on that then, 
you know, if I go to my property conveyancer, mm-hmm. gives me a quote, 800 quid to buy a house, yeah, whatever, done. Mm-hmm. With you, I mean, do you have a rough insight into, and of course everything is different, but like how charging works with you? So anyone who's in an unfortunate situation. See, gonna... It depends if I'm charging by hourly rate or fixed fee. It depends for a normal crime court trial. Um, depending, it all depends on the page count, how many pages you have to read. You're talking about the £25,000. £25,000 for a couple of days trial for a normal case. Uh, big cases, of course, where you get leading QCs and stuff like that, and leading barristers. And they can go range from 100 grand further up onwards as well, yeah. And if you prove the defendant innocent, yeah. and everyone agrees in that, let's say I'm the defendant, I'm paying you 100 grand, or can I counter sue? Can I, how can I? You can't get the money back if that's what you're asking me for. So essentially, yeah, and I think this is what I read as well. People will have to pay a hundred grand, for example, to defend themselves when they're innocent, and you can't sue the courts for it, the police, nothing. No. There's something called a defense cost order, but I don't know how that. It's, it's sort of where you can claim something back. I've read it's like it's just a joke in terms yeah, of the percentage. It's yeah, like yeah. it's just nothing. You can, but. Uh, and and they, they obviously try and take the piss and make it last a long time. Yeah, it takes long. It takes it's long. just they do on You've purpose. You've done your research, Listen, when I read these books, that's good, like man. The Secret Barrister, I just thought, mm, like, good. fuck. This See, is. I'm a Secret Barrister. The one I read of this probably more than all of you read the books. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, because it's scary to think that you could be in a situation where you could be down 100 grand. Yeah, and not of your own fault. And you just. Place for a long time, man. And it's it's crazy because sometimes you just can't help that. Of course, you can choose who you hang out with and stuff like that. But if you're wrong place, wrong time, where's that money coming? Like, you know what I mean? It's some people don't have the money. Of course, and it's some people don't have the money. And on that topic, what do you think needs changing in the world of criminal law? I mean, there's probably quite a few things, but is there something that you always think, for God's sake, why is this like this? Um, of course, increasing the legal aid budget would be nice, mm-hmm. nicer. Um, but um, a lot of things I mean I don't know I mean a lot of things I, I wouldn't some people will think that yeah, it's changing but I, I wouldn't I think it's okay the way it's going but of course a lot of, an increase in the budget would be nice mm-hmm. for everybody and you know you just said that like it's it's kind of okay the way it is mm. do you so, I mean, do, are you saying that the UK law system is good, I suppose, compared to things globally, perhaps? Um, yes, I mean, look, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the defendants are entitled to a fair trial. Um, like, for example, in Romania now, what happened with the takeover, they yeah. just locked up for no apparent reason. Yeah. That can't happen in the UK. They can't just take you like that without a charge. They can't remind you like that. They reminded them for about three months. Like that, it's 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 good. I think the UK justice system is is the criminal justice system is one of the best in the world. I think because sometimes it can work against you, sometimes uh, it can work for you. But I prefer it over most of the worlds. So. Yeah, and you know, as you know, you're someone who's running the business, so you're doing business management I suppose mm. you're creating content you're mm. representing clients you're in court you're doing mm. how do you balance if you do all of that with family you know social life things like that it becomes easy it becomes a norm it becomes a routine it becomes you do something so often that it just becomes a part of you isn't it and then so I'll get up in the morning I'll go to the gym first thing I'll do is pray 
I try to go to the mosque and pray most times or two. And if I get, if the Lord chooses me to be there, then after that I'll go to the gym. After gym, I'll take one of my kids to school, drop them off to school, I'll come to work, whether I'm working in London, whether I'm working in Liverpool, Manchester, whatever it is. I'll try to get back for about six, seven o'clock. Come home, I'll take my boy to the gym, boxing gym, have some food, get my laptop for a beer, and I'll go to sleep. I'll still get time to spend time with my boys. Uh, I'll still get time to spend with my wife. And I still manage to get everything done. See, uh, you have to prioritize, isn't it? You can't yeah. just sit around and do nothing, you know? So even if I don't have anything to do, I don't sit around and do nothing, you know? Even if I'm with my family, I'll be talking about stuff, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I can't, I don't like sitting idle anyway, so. Everyone's got the same 24 hours. It's what you do with this, isn't it? It's what you yeah. It's what you do with it. And, you know, there was a particular video you put on, on Instagram I saw where, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a guy and I saw the video, he had a gun in his hand, he had a gun, yeah. walked up to a mini white van thing, yeah. sort of pointed it, mm. and then you were celebrating that he, his charges were changed yeah. and he went from 15 to 5 years. So basically what happened is he was charged with a conspiracy, uh, sorry, a possession of a firearm with intent to endanger life. Mm -hmm. So for having a gun with intent to endanger life. That's what he was originally charged for. Yeah. Arrested and charged for that, yeah? We managed to establish, and with the prosecution, you know, we cooperated, they cooperated with us, we cooperated with them, you know, that there's no way that it can be proven that the gun was actually real. The gun was an imitation. They never found the gun, or they never. The gun was never found, and the bullets they found, we got an expert to say that those kind of bullets can also be used in an imitation firearm. Forget what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So then they had to. The prosecution sort of agreed that okay, we'll amend the charge to having a gun with intent to cause fear of violence, which is a very different charge. Very different intent to endanger life is trying putting someone's life in danger, to fear of violence. Fear of violence, scaring someone. Yeah. So it's two different uh, charges. So where he could have got 14 to 15 years for the intent to endanger life, he got five years and two months for the fear of violence. And but in that case, if you if they couldn't prove that the gun was real, mm. why is it even five years? In the sense that you're... you're it's still having a gun. To put the fear of violence, if you get what Also, it's like carrying a, a knife. It's still something that can in, it cause yeah. those feelings. Exactly, because that client at the time wouldn't have known that whether it's imitation, whether it's real. Not the client, sorry, the victim. Of course, and therefore the effect is the same. They should be punished the, yes, in the, the same light. Yes, exactly. So the effect on okay. the victim is the same as the victim would have at the time it was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why the, that, that charge is the perfect charge for this offence. Interesting. And you know what? People on social media, did you get comments kind of saying, I think I saw some being like... Disgusting comments? Yeah, you're a fraud. What, you know, he should be in jail for life, all this kind of stuff. Why? Why would you want to send someone to life for doing something like that? When they come out of prison, they're going to be a career criminal because they've been around yeah. that crime for the last 10 to 15 years of their life. So when they come out of prison, they're probably going to turn into bigger criminals. They're probably going to recruit more criminals that they know from prison. And they probably do do more crime. Whereas this kid, he's only, I think, 19 years old. He's going to come out in a year or two and try to do... I mean, I suppose he's a good kid. He's a good kid. I've spoken to him. He wants to get out, get a job, probably start studying, wants to do something with his life.
So why take that opportunity? Why take someone's life, childhood, years, teenage, twenties away from them? Why? You know, you can't do that to someone. Yeah, and they shouldn't think like that. They shouldn't. People shouldn't comment like that. I don't like those sort of comments. I mean, if it was this and that, unfortunately got mm-hmm. involved in circumstances like that, why well, would they say the exactly same thing? No, they wouldn't. No. They'd be the first to call me. Yeah. I'm my boy. Of course. So. And people like to jump off just, you know, the first thing you say and the first thing instead of... See, look, social media, like you said, a lot of people do it. A lot of other solicitors are doing it as well. But it's about engagement, isn't it? It's about engaging people to watch you because people only watch you for the first one, two seconds. Yeah, if it's not interesting, that's right. So I have to make my videos interesting. And I told that clip, which was fam- from his family business. So these people attacked his family business. When this happens, they came in, the full video is they came in with machetes and swords and he had to run inside there and they, that's where he found the fake gun and machete. And did they get prosecuted for the machete? No, because they had bank numbers on. This is just the world, isn't it? It's... That's what I'm saying. So people have to look at both sides. If they had caught that boy, they would have probably killed him. Yeah. And maybe even got away with it if they had bellies on. Like Yeah. It... And yeah, these cases are so interesting and I think it's important that you're drawing light to this because mm. otherwise we'd hear about it in newspapers and they like to twist. Whereas you're coming at it from illegal, these are the facts, this is the law, this is it. So it's nice to hear it from someone that's sort of not, not necessarily neutral, but the language and the angle is neutral, it's law. This is a law perspective on this. Yeah. And there was one other one where I think there was a guy sitting next to you and was it 200 kg of heroin or cocaine? Heroin he was. So what was Pakistan. he? What was he being accused for? And what? He's been accused of uh, being one of uh, the main guys importers for importing over two hundred twenty kilos of heroin from Pakistan. How they were importing it in uh, was plastic balls and pens and stuff like that. So when the uncle say I'm an import export, this is this is right. so the the two hundred twenty kilos were over a six month period, I believe. Okay. So every now and again they would send about 20 like that, and he built. So my client got charged because of a family member, or the, one of the other co-conspirators who, who was save, saving now 20 years or just above, almost 20 years mm-hmm. for the same case. So his instructions were that I was not guilty. And the prosecution in that case, they couldn't prove that he was actually actively involved in the importation. They couldn't prove if he knew what was in those parcels, even though he received the parcels at his home address. They could not prove that he knew what was inside the parcels because he simply picked them up and used to take them somewhere to his family member. And they used to open it, whatever they did with it. It got intercepted by the National Crime Agency. So what they did, they put recording devices in there. Smart. Well, that's what they do. And with, even with that, they couldn't prove... No. They could, they because couldn't. he could have just thought it was Masala coming yeah. in from Pakistan. <laughs> then... So, at the end of the day, they couldn't prove what, what he knew what was inside there. And there's a few mistakes that the prosecution made, which obviously we lashed on to, which we have to latch on to. We have to, that's our job. And um, it was an awesome result. In, totally innocent, walked away. Walked away, not guilty. But he was on remand for over six months. And remand means in prison, faith waiting for trial. And again, there's no I compensation. Nothing, nothing. Nothing. You just suffer and deal with the mental issues afterwards and everything. Just mm. 
I mean, a lot of people go through that. Mm. Even there's a, there's a girl recently, her name's Eleanor Williams. She accused three different men, three separate men, of grooming her and raping her. You find out later on, it was found out that she was lying. She got eight years prison, but these guys had to suffer inside remand until this was this came to light that she was lying and she was making these allegations up, falsely accusing these gentlemen. They had rapists written on the on the on the wall at the front of their house. They served I don't know how much months inside prison for a grooming charge, raping. So imagine how they were looked at mm -hmm. inside prison. Imagine how they were treated inside prisons, mm -hmm. especially from other inmates and prison officers. Everything. Of course, they they're not going to be treated like uh, angels, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it came to light that she was lying. And this takes time just because the legal system is slow and just gathering It's not slow. I mean, of course, if, 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 a, if somebody makes an allegation, um, it, it, it takes time, doesn't it? Of course, if somebody, if somebody makes an allegation, somebody gets arrested and the case gets adjourned for a trial and then the trial, of course, doesn't happen straight away. If somebody's on remand, they have six months with him to bring that case to court. If somebody's not on remand, if somebody's out on bail, waiting for trial, it would take a year, two years even. But if somebody's on remand, then... They call, They have to have a trial within six months, and uh, that's how the system works. So magistrates court first. From there, the case goes to the crown court. It gets sent to the crown court, and after that, it goes to dates. Uh, trial dates are set, and when trial dates are set, then there's a trial. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, it, it, being in that situation would be painful in so many ways. Just waiting, the, the kind of uncertainty, the, the not knowing, mm -hmm. the costs, the mental cost. There's so much that yeah. goes into that. And you have a catchphrase. What is it? There's a defense for every offense. Must my catchphrase there. Yeah. And essentially, it means that if you're accused of something, yeah. there will be of anything, there will be some level of defense in law that could support you. That? Yeah, yeah, of course, some, some, something like that, yeah, and, and I'm glad you said it like that, some level of defence. Yeah, because not every offence has a defence in law, but like what I say, there's some strict liability offences, you probably read up about it, for example, a firearm, possession of a firearm, um, now that's a strict liability offence. But if you go to court and you plead not guilty, what are you doing? You're going to put forward some sort of explanation, some sort of defence. Otherwise, it's going to be guilty, are you? Yeah. Know, I've, I've had people who've uh, got found not guilty of a possession of a firearm with intent to endanger life charge. So they put forward a defence and they said they're not guilty. And, and is that despite being sort of seen with the firearm? Or? No, firearm was found in the car. Fine. Firearm was found in the car, yeah. Interesting. You know, this has been super, super insightful, I think, because, you know, your content on, on Instagram and Reels definitely highlights some things, but it's good to talk about it in depth. in depth, yeah, of course. And for me personally, kind of, you know, coming from maybe more of a prosecution angle previously, I now understand the defense and I now understand why I get your ethics around it. And it, it's kind of changed my, it's kind of got me thinking a lot about the ethics and morals. So, Thank you, brother. you know what I mean? If, if you can do that, then I think a lot of people watching this can maybe change their minds as well. They need to, I mean, just because somebody is accused of a crime, it doesn't mean that they will committed that crime. If that was the case, people would get arrested and get thrown straight into jail. When somebody is charged after being arrested, then the case is going to be 
either tried in a court or somebody goes and pleads guilty, that's when they're convicted. So just because somebody is accused of a crime, it doesn't mean that they committed that crime. People need to take that mindset away and less people need to be convicted and more people need to be educated. I agree. Well said. Great way to end it. Ahmed, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. All your contact details, all your details will be in the show notes. So go, go give Ahmed a follow. The content is really engaging and really interesting. And yeah, if you need help, give thank him a you. Call. Remember that the defense for every offense.